Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. As always, joining you, I hope you are ready for an interesting pod today because I think you're in for a bit of a treat. I spoke to my, it's just me today, I decided to just have one-on-one time with my guest today because I had a chat with him, I'll introduce him in a second. His name's Charlie Winton and we'll get chatting with Charlie, but I had a chat probably about three months ago now about his company, OK Positive, and what they do. This is a sort of mental health well-being focused podcast. One of the things which I'm going to leave Charlie just to noodle on is I took a present, I've seen a presentation of his which talks about why HR needs to put their oxygen mask on first, which I think is really, really fascinating and a great thing to describe. I guess something that I've heard lots of HR, HR people talking about, which is who helps HR? It's almost, it's it's a nicer version of people say, who polices the police? Well, who helps HR with people-related issues? Certainly mental health and well-being is, is one of those. But enough of me yammering on. Let's bring Charlie in. Charlie, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. I'm um, yeah, really pleased to be here and, and thank you for inviting me on. Quite excited to, to talk on the topics. Yeah, yeah, some really some really interesting topics too. Before we talk about some of the things that you've done in a couple of presentations and this one particular presentation, which we can elaborate on a little bit more around HR putting their oxygen mask on first, it's probably worth doing a sort of credentials check, if you like. So if you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and also, which I found fascinating when we spoke about your journey too, I think that's a really interesting one I started out my career in recruitment. Um, That was my first job out of university with a little bit of time off for what I called a mini gap year, scaffold labouring in Australia. I moved into recruitment and from there effectively fell out of that job and that's a a large part of my journey which I'll touch upon but I I moved into financial payments and and technology for small medium-sized businesses, cafes, restaurants to help them with their payments and then founded the business alongside that and, and moved away from that business to start OK Positive. And uh, really my journey is one of lived experience. I came from recruitment, as I said, I was working in a, a really lovely office in Edinburgh in a franchise FTSE listed recruitment firm. And it was there I kind of suffered quite severe mental health issues. Personally, I, I used to have three or four panic attacks a day. I fight or flight, went and hid in the company toilets playing video games, which is a good old classic there uh, to get myself <laughs> out of it. And, it was what there I was I was searching up ways to find support really I was looking up everything and I realized that mental health care in particular or all types of healthcare have three main forms preventative proactive and reactive and 99% of the world's solutions that I looked up all wait until you had a problem before trying to quote fix you and mm. I thought I've looked enough in physical health and and with things like Fitbit and look at data and analytics and people becoming more self-aware and encouraging healthy habits for themselves. Why couldn't we replicate that for mental health? And so I wanted to create a platform that would do just that. So started the business from there, really. So let's talk about OK Positive specifically. So what exactly is the platform? What does it do? So for an individual, there's two aspects to it. For an individual, it's a platform that uses machine learning and AI to preempt triggers that cause severe mental health issues. So what that means is we look at the root cause of either successes or challenges in your mental health uh, for each individual without invading their privacy 
and we create hyper-personalized support, messaging, resources, signposting based on the moods of that individual and, and what helps them and what doesn't. And so the system learns from itself, it learns from the input that's put in from the individual and will take them on that journey to looking after themselves. And it's something that I built around my own experience where you know, having those three or four panic attacks a day, having OCD and quite severe um, intrusive thoughts and anxiety as an individual, I really struggled when it got to a crisis point and I wanted to stop myself and, and then others hopefully from getting to that point themselves. And so by following this in a human level and, and using the technology, I had not had a panic attack in five years. I still have the same stresses. I still have different things and everyone has stuff going on in their lives, but finding a framework for myself which I could put into this technology is helping myself and, and I've, I've seen it help others. So it's something I'm really passionate about. And then from a second point of view, it, it, we moved it into corporates because we knew that workplaces is a main area of stress for individuals and they have a responsibility to get the best out of their people to support them effectively. So we wanted to provide aggregated analytics and a platform where they could see what the issues are and, and act quickly. And in a, you said we did, but a much more nurturing culture to say like, look, we're going to make changes based on really what the issues are for you rather than what we see in surveys and what we see in reports. And, and we'll do it based on the people within our business. So that's where it started from. Nice. So it was interesting. You were just mentioning about the whole concept of it and the machine learning side of it. And I think this is quite fascinating because I think businesses, every, a lot of businesses talk about machine learning, AI. This is how we're going to improve you know, productivity within our business. You know, Ultimately, the fundamental side of it is embed this kind of technology because it helps to take away the tasks. This is, I'm talking about AI in general. It takes away some of those more administrative tasks so that people can focus in on other parts, more important parts of their business. But what's your kind of experience? And I'm just going to ask you to get sort of on your soapbox a little bit around how this has been received. Because I think there'll be lots of people listening in that if they think about how do we leverage machine learning, how do we leverage AI, and I know this because I've spoken to HR people, particularly when we've, we've run our shared services forums and we've asked, you know, how are you using AI at the moment? And the response we tend to get is, you know, recruitment, for example. You know, we use it in the sifting, the matching process, things like that. How many organizations that you come across have actually even thought about, well, actually, it could be used for something like, you know, mental health and, and in, in that space? I think really there's quite a there's a bit of a fear factor around AI because everyone's either seeing it as stealing their job or it's going to change processes and people don't tend to like change. I think if AI and machine learning in particular are used in the right way with the right morals around it, then it can be incredibly powerful. And so in this instance, the AI is, is utilized and the machine learning is utilized to look at the triggers of the individual, bring information to people rather than having to search out. Quite traditionally, mental health resources or any resources, are uh, you have to go search it, look it out for yourself, don't you? And mm. if you see things like Netflix and tools like that, they're now tailoring it for you. It makes it easier to find things that potentially are relevant to you without having to go to that strain. And particularly for mental health, I think there is, when you're getting to a crisis point or you're, you're really struggling, you're less likely to go and search out support for yourself. You're more likely to go inward and look inward. Whereas if you have something that's taking you on that journey and producing information for you that's relevant, that fast tracks that process and it means that you can have that earlier stage intervention. When we're speaking to companies, yes, they look at OKRs, they look at processes, they want to fast track everything, they want to speed up everything. But it's about 
you know, AI, machine learning, all these things are only as good as the individuals that are controlling it or utilizing it or, or being part of it. You have to bring people on a human level to include themselves in it and, and buy into it effectively. And we're seeing more of that because traditionally, let's look at HR, let's look at well-being in particular. It will be a survey over six months, 12 months. Every two years, they'll do a survey spot report. By the time that's re reported, collated and, and sent out there, it's completely redundant. The people have left or the issues have got worse or the issues have changed. And therefore, we need to utilize things that are in real time and it fast tracks that process so that you can look at issues earlier and say that this is something we're going to do to improve our culture, to improve staff retention. Because I think there's too much focus on recruitment when if you could extend people staying because they're happier by six, nine, 12 months, you know, it eases up that process of recruitment. But yeah, I think it's being received. It's starting to be received a lot more openly when it comes to mental health, because I think traditionally just resources being there, employee assistance programs, they're not touched. The engagement's low. It's built in that model. And people are moving to, let's actually be more iterative in what we're doing. Mm. I think also mental health well-being, it's a very, very emotive and personal kind of experience. And so it's interesting what you were saying, and particularly when you talked earlier about that preventative, proactive or reactive. And this is something that if you if you flip it from organizations looking at oh the recruit how we how do we use it within recruitment or how do we use it within performance management whatever it is something like this could almost be more beneficial to almost do that preventative measure than some of the other areas i would have thought because if you've got somebody to the point where their mental health is so poor or their well-being is so bad within whether it's work related or whatever it is you're normally almost gone too far haven't you it's almost at the point where i don't want to say is it recoverable because all of these things can be recoverable but because it's such a personal element it would be so difficult for businesses to then come back from that. Whereas if you've got ways in which you can predict trends and see, okay, this person might be on a path, which is going to then ultimately is about, it could affect their productivity at work, but actually also them as a person and an organization being able to be preemptive and to support. I mean, the value that that then adds, I guess, as a as an, as an employee or as a business, the value that you can add to be able to be preemptive and to support your employee, it really does improve their own relationship with your business, doesn't it? Yeah, there's always been a distrust, I think, between employees and employers. I don't know why that is. I think it's traditionally because there's been hierarchical situations. You always want to get that promotion. You don't want to be seen as vulnerable or weak or perceived as that way because you're more open and transparent about how you're feeling and, and your performance. I think it's often we put on a face as individuals. And my favorite saying around preventative versus reactive is, you know, we have all these first aiders in there for that eventual slip, trip and fall. But why not spend the time ensuring that the floors are dry and not slippage? <laughs> but, but it's also very difficult because businesses work in reactive ways and they work in retrospective ways. They look at sickness and absence as a reason of poor mental health, which I think is not quite accurate enough. And you're also looking, well, after, over the last 12 months, we've lost X amount of money. And that's the wrong way of looking at it. It's the way of looking at it is what can we gain from making people happy, productive and want to stay here? What can we gain from this at the start point? And and basically reiterate that over as a process. And that's something I talked about in that uh, that presentation you mentioned is building an effective well-being strategy that looks at the successes and challenges in your business with complete transparency and honesty, then looking at interventions that you can do or you, you have 
loads of different providers, suppliers, resources. You do those interventions, you communicate it with your people effectively so they know this is being done because you said this, or this is being done because we understand this is an issue, or this is great, we're doing more of this, and then evaluate whether it works. So it's like a build, measure, learn process that if you keep doing that, keep reiterating, because there'll always be new stresses. I think people have realized that over the last three years, like no one foresaw a pandemic, a war, cost of living crisis. Those things are going to affect, no matter how much people think, it will affect work performance because your mind's elsewhere. It's on the Mm -hmm. people that you care about, it's your family, your friends, and quite often, it can have an adverse effect. So that, yeah, I, I just think if you look at it from a start point of how can we improve, how can we be better? Because every business can, there's no such thing as a perfect business, there never will be. But it's about how can we be honest with ourselves and look under the rock and see what can we do to be better? And how can we encourage more people to join us, more people to stay, more people to refer people? Because everyone forgets the best recruiter in the world is a happy employee. They'll invite their friends, their family, their colleagues, their ex-colleagues, they'll say, come and work here because this is a place to work and and i think that's where it needs to move yeah that kind of advocacy is so valuable isn't it when we spoke last time way back when good three months ago one of the things you talked about which i was really fascinated with so i just want to get you just kind of on your soapbox actually is around this idea of mental health tick boxing can you just kind of talk to our listeners in a much more eloquent and uh, articulate way than i could about your kind of thoughts around that what what is that what are organizations doing can you give us some good examples or bad any good or bad stories that you've heard just around how businesses have, have performed from this perspective i think it's being coined the phrase is now being coined as well-being washing or something well-being that, washing something to that token yeah it's i think it's really tricky because businesses are being labeled as the, the enemy here, which is not the case. Like A lot of businesses are doing great initiatives. They're trying things they want to improve, and that's how it should be. But the issue is, I think, traditionally, we've seen exercises and initiatives that have maybe just scratched the surface of what the issues are. Like, for example, mental health first aid. I'm always a big believer of anything is better than nothing. But at the same time, if you're doing it for the sake of doing it, then that's a problem because you don't get buy-in, you don't get an engagement. People won't actually benefit from it in the long term. I'll give you an example of how that works in a, in a more positive way. So if you look at mental health first aiders, you train people up who are A, passionate about mental health, or B, have experienced it themselves, and that's why they want to help others. It's on top of their job. They get trained in it. Yes, they go through a course, but that's about a day or two, um, depending on which provider you go to. And then they're left to go and be the voice of mental health in that business. I mean, it takes seven years to become a therapist or accredited psychologist in different yeah. areas and you have to do research. So it's like saying to someone, right, we've trained you on the anatomy of a body on operation, on the, on the board game operation, now go and do heart surgery. It's not, that, that's the severity of it because say for example, an employee comes up to a mental health first aider and says, look, I've been really struggling with a situation that's very personal to me, talks about their childhood, talks about suicidal thoughts, that person, while they've had that day's training, may have a marketing presentation in an hour's time. So they've got to think about themselves, okay, I've got to do this presentation. I've got someone who's just told me some very personal information I need to help them with. Which one do I prioritize? And then the stress that's put on that individual. Now, that's an example of where a tick box can go wrong because ultimately you're just putting things in there to say, yes, we've got 30 trained first aiders, look how great we are. Then if you position it as mental health first aiders or advocates and have a program where you support them, I spoke to a brilliant business that actually got in a lot of trouble for mental health quite famously in the news. And they've put in 
mental health advocates, and also they support the advocates. They stand them down if they're having too much workload or they're having too many people contact them and, and they need emotional support. They check in with them. They make sure that the person who is supporting people is getting support themselves, which is something we've never really seen before. And so that's where you can turn a tick box exercise, which is saying, yes, we've done all this amazing stuff. Look how great we are to actually something that's meaningful. Yes, we've done something great. And now we're continuing to do it and we're supporting that program effectively. I'll give you some great examples of initiatives that have gone really well on, on React. One of our, our customers saw some immediate engagement and feedback on our platform saying that the IT system was broken and it was basically just causing them an extra hour's delay each day and it was putting them back. They had to work late. They were stressed. So they sent out a notification saying, look, we're going to put the IT team on this. Or we're going to fix this. And they resolved it. Mood rating goes up by 10%. Engagement goes up by 10%. People are talking about it in the cafeteria saying, yeah, have you heard? They fixed that because we said it in this platform. And suddenly you get this culture of, right, we can say the things that are going to help us become better. Another example completely out with tech, I uh, saw a business that measured all of their sickness and absence and ascertained that they had two mental health sick days per employee per month. So it's quite high. And they surveyed everyone and found that it was targets and the deadlines. It was the stress and pressures of the job. So what they did was they repositioned it and said, okay, we're losing those two sick days. What we're going to do is we're going to reset your targets and you're going to set them individually yourself for these deadlines for the rest of the month. But it has to be a maximum of 75% of the original target. So they're getting a reduction of at least 25% of their original target, but they could choose. And once they hit that target, they would get two well-being days off that they could spend with their family and friends. Repositioned it completely, shock horror, they all hit 100% of their target, the original target that they were missing before. And they came back happy, respected, valued, because they looked at it and said, we're not losing any time here because we were losing it anyway. But what we have now are employees that are happy, valued, and want to come back to work. So the difference between, to put it succinctly, between well-being washing or tick box exercising is actually having a motive for why you're doing it, following through with it, and evaluating whether it worked. If you do those three things, then it's never going to be a tick box exercise. It will always be beneficial. Yeah. Can I ask, can I ask a quick question? How often does this just fall on a, this is a HR's job? Every time. I would say for any small, medium-sized business, let's just say 150, 250 employees plus, it will fall into the, the HR remit and say that, you know, this is people lead, this is this sits on your desk. For startups and smaller businesses, it's very much the CEO, the COO, the founders. They, they will take a personal interest in this because they know the stresses that they experience while building that business. So therefore, they've kind of gone through the trenches and feel like, I don't want my team to feel like that and I don't want to lose people. Because if you lose someone at a smaller business, it's so much more like to another competitor or to another job, another field or to sick leave, it really is detrimental. Whereas in the HR world for larger business, it is. It's pushed to them while they've got recruitment, while they've got disciplinaries, while they've got policies. It's too much for them to do, which is why I think we are seeing more well-being roles r rolled out, you know, head of well-being, head of culture, head of mental health, counsellors that are living in businesses as part of that function. Yeah. And just linked to that, and this kind of touches on what I was talking about right at the top, are HR some of the most challenged in terms of practicing what they preach in your experience in terms of that mental health well-being side? Completely. I think the issue, the issue with HR and for HR leaders and consultants and personnel has always been the fact that they are perceived by the employees as working for the business and perceived by the business as working for the employees. 
So kind of the middleman. I used to think about this in recruitment when you're a temporary recruitment consultant. If the candidate does a great job, the candidate gets the praise for it from the client. If the candidate doesn't turn up or doesn't do a good job, whose fault is it? It's the recruiter who sent them in. You're the, you, you never win. You're always sitting there going, oh, well, here we go. And from, a, from an HR perspective, I think during the pandemic, they were brought into C-suite level and they were given like, okay, people are our biggest concern because they were and, and they should always be. But then I think now, as business is changing, it's now about economy, it's about its survival, it's about revenues. That's been pushed to the back a bit. And HR are kind of left with less budget, less resource, but still the same requirements, if not more requirements, because of the struggles that we're seeing for individuals. And so it's a lose-lose. And I do feel for HR consultants because they and HR personnel, because they don't have time to look after themselves. Often they're working way too long hours. They're stressed about 7,000 different things. And they can't focus on one particular area and therefore the capacity to do initiatives that they'd want to do are very difficult, let alone for themselves, because they see themselves. And I see HR people as the kind of superheroes of a, of a business because they have to do everything and everything. Like they're, they're like an all rounder in cricket, for example, they have to do everything yeah. to a very high standard, but actually they may be struggling themselves. And, and therefore, I think we're seeing more communities of HR individuals supporting each other, finding new ways to work sharing expertise and knowledge and i think that's only a good thing yeah certainly and i've certainly seen that myself we see that at lace partners with some of the communities that we've developed in some of our areas such as shared services we've got people experience but it's bringing together those collective of people just to share ideas and and the value that that even adds that it doesn't even have to be company related it's just you know community related which i think is really really good i just want to kick us on and talk a little bit again about this presentation that you did and there was a section in which you've talked about the managing the collective well-being and encouraging engagement there was some advice that you gave like five key areas targets feedback analysis intervention and communication can you just touch on that for our listeners as to what you are talking about in there yeah so i think the issue i think a lot of hr leaders are going through is what do we do like how do we do it how do we structure it well-being strategies are so all over the shop because there's so many aspects to well-being right there's financial there's physical nutritional mental workplace there's so many different areas and so often it can be a right we need to get everything in each section or we need to have all these different things we have to have everything in one place and the stresses that go around that and i've found from speaking to several hundred thousands of of hr leaders over the last three years that the best strategies and structures have always come down to a similar process so that you do with a marketing strategy or a sales strategy or a business strategy. You look at what are the targets? What do we want to get out of this? Rather than saying, we're just going to stick a load of resources in there that are reactive and will sit there. So, you know, people can go and find them if they want and moving that to a right. No, what do we want to get out of this? We want to have 10% more productivity this year. We want to have people staying for an extra six months. We want to have four more referrals each month, as opposed to what we had previously. And look at the reason that all those business areas, all those key indicators of good mental health and, and productivity and loyalty and culture in a business, set targets for yourself and, and then go from there and build out that structure of build, measure, learn. So look at real-time feedback of what the people in your business are saying, because they're the only people that matter when it comes to your business, right? You can look at industry stats, you can look at all that stuff. It's not relevant. Your people could be completely different. They could be in a completely different area. They could be remote. All of the stats that you see are not relevant to the people that are in your business, because you can have an eclectic mix of different diverse individuals that are going through different things at the same time. You need to listen to what they say. So get that real-time feedback. Look at the successes and challenges. Measure mood, measure 
engagement because engaged employees are 45% more productive than just regular employees. But then further to that, inspired employees are 55% more productive than engaged employees. And what I mean by that is people that believe in the vision of that business. So they go, I'm here. I love the work that I do because it's doing this, because it's helping this. And quite often, the larger a business gets, people get removed away from that. I went through a, an acquisition when I was working at a business in sales. We used to help small, medium-sized businesses. It was amazing. Great story about help, helping the little guy go out into the, or little girl go out into the world and, and set, it up, set it all up and take on the giants. And then the acquisition came in and then suddenly everyone was leaving because now we're helping the large retailers and the people, the big, the big customers. And so it wasn't the same inspired mission. So look at the successes and challenges, intervene and go, right, what can we do here? What, what resources do we have available? What free stuff can we do? What ideas can we test as a hypothesis as, okay, if we do this, it might have this effect. Communicate that with your people because one of the biggest issues that we see in businesses is a lack of communication. We're making this decision. Why? Pay was only up 2%. Inflation was 10%. Why? A lot of people will be asking those questions. They'll be disillusioned. Therefore, they won't work as well. If you communicate, even if it's something like a tough thing to say, like, okay, well, we don't have the budget to increase your pay by more than this. Letting the people know, and we've seen that as an example in one of our clients, they couldn't do it because of the pandemic. They explained it. They set up appraisals for six months time when there was a clearer picture of what was going on. And you saw comments coming through saying, oh yeah, well, like, I respect that they've let us know why. It may not be the answer I wanted, but at least I now know why. So communicate it and then evaluate it. Let the people know this is what we're doing, communicate it out, and then ask them, did this work or not? And then if you do that process through a wellbeing strategy, no matter what area that you're focusing on at that particular time or whatever project you have, if you follow that process, you'll be able to, like any strategy, understand what you did, when you did it, how was it received and what impact did it have? And if you can do that, then you'll, you'll, you'll increase your, your productivity. You'll help your, your people to buy into the culture that you're building because it's, it's one that they're included in. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's really, really interesting approach. I'm, I'm really fascinated by this idea that businesses don't do enough of that measuring and, you know, checking against yourself. I mean, I myself as a marketing person, you know, I sit down with my team all the time and talk about targets and measurements. And often that can be viewed as a as a negative thing. But the way that I describe it to my teams is that it's not, it's it's just ways in which we can learn how do we get better and how do we improve in what we're doing. And it, that can be applied across any type of a business. We are coming towards the end of the podcast. So I wanted to kind of get a couple of final, final thoughts on a couple of bits, if that's all right. Firstly, if I'm a HR director sitting here now and I've just absorbed sort of 30 minutes of fascinating chat about mental health, well-being, if, that, if, if there's one thing that you want somebody to take away from today's kind of chat, what would it be? If it's a, okay, I've given you a lot of information here and you can't say, give me a call and have a chat because that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't going what, to. What's one, thing, what's one thing that you would say, take away this one thing? Well, directed purely at the HR leaders is yeah. make sure you're looking after yourself. Find ways that you can support yourself, understand your triggers, your emotions, how you're feeling, journal how that goes because that will align directly to your performance in the business because you have such an influence over the people in your business. Everyone says that trickle down. It, it's so true. It will trickle down if you're stressed and you're not performing at your best and you're not feeling yourself, then you need to put your oxygen mask on first and make sure that you can do your job because your job is so crucial. That would be the thing I'd take away. In terms of the, in terms of the kind of 
well-being strategy piece, it's, it's not as overwhelming as it seems. And there are ways to do it, but you need to put the people's feedback at the very front of it. And the issue with surveying and things like that is you're asking for something and not giving them anything back at that stage. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to give something back. And that's what I'd, I'd focus on in the two areas from a company and an individual perspective. Absolutely brilliant. And one final thing, just as we, we wrap up today, if you and I are having this chat or having a chat on the HR on the Offensive podcast in five years time, what do you hope is your utopia that we're talking about? I think we'll be able to preempt triggers that cause severe mental health issues in, in individuals. So we'll get our own, as individuals, we'll get our own alerts to say, look, you're struggling here. You need to step back. You need to look after yourself as opposed to running yourself into the ground and making problems worse. And the, the horrible statistics that we're now seeing around suicide and mental health issues. And I think from a business perspective, we will have well-being at the very forefront of recruitment of OKRs, we will see a list, a leaderboard of the, the highest mood levels of every organization in the world. And that's where people will base where they want to work from, because that's, it's the, it's the crux of everything we've realized, unless you're a factory, which is purely robots, <laughs> yeah. the likelihood is people are the reason that your business is thriving or, or not. And, and so that's where I see the world moving. And I hope it moves that way. <laughs> Do you know what? I do too, because imagine that. Not just happier people, but more productive and efficient jobs, products delivered, services delivered. I mean, it all has that knock-on effect, doesn't it? So, Charlie, fantastic having you on today for today's podcast. Uh, Really, really enjoyed it. I feel like you and I could probably be having this conversation for at least another hour, but that's not the format of this podcast, unfortunately. But do you want to tell everybody just where they can find you? Any details for our, uh, our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a a high social media following on on LinkedIn. Our website's www.okpositive.org. We love talking to businesses, whether it's like just consulting and saying these are great people that we know, partners, resources. We're just always happy to chat around well-being and businesses that want to make a a change and a positive impact. So yeah, that's that's where you'd find me. I'm always Brilliant stuff. (laughs) Charlie, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you, Chris. Uh, you can, of course, find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not going to list off all of the different places that people can get their podcasts. You can download it, listen to it. I listen to podcasts when I go running, interestingly enough. I don't really like the whole kind of – my wife does like heavy dance music because she says she likes the beat of it. But I like a, I like melodic tones of somebody like Charlie here. But if you want to listen to any of the other Lace Partners podcasts, of course, you can visit our website, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. That's it from me. That's it from Charlie. Thank you very much for joining joining us today and hopefully we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.